through some of the different distinctives of our uh, congregation, and we've covered uh, quite a wide gamut. And we were looking at the Dominion Mandate, and then back on June 15, we looked at the first half of the, uh, the Sabbath, the seventh day. And we were going through creationism as well. We were going through a number of other issues. But let's read Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is a light into our path. It is our desire, Father, to submit our hearts to it. And I pray that you would enable me to uh, proclaim your word faithfully and enable each one of us to be hearers and doers and lovers of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. I'm not going to uh, cover again the issues that we went over on June 15. We answered a lot of objections uh, to the Sabbath, and it's a controversial uh, doctrine, you know, in many different circles. It didn't used to be in the olden days, but there have been a lot of objections brought against it. So we went through, uh, what was it, six or seven different questions that people have had, and we traipsed all over the Scripture in seeking to answer those questions. And we saw last week that it was a moral law. It's a, uh, a law that uh, applied in the Old Testament to believers as well as to unbelievers. It applied to Jews as well as to Gentiles. In fact, we looked at a couple of scriptures that prophesied that in the New Covenant, Gentiles would be uh, obeying uh, the Sabbath. And so we saw it was a moral law. We also saw that it was a ceremonial law. And that's the unique thing about the Sabbath. It has both dimensions to it. It's called a sign in Ezekiel chapter 20 and Exodus chapter 31. And as a sign, it symbolizes something. It uh, teaches us something. And we saw that the only way in which that sign, uh, I mean, that, that the fourth commandment changed was with respect to the ceremonial aspect. Which direction was the sign pointing? Uh, prior to the fall, it was pointing back at God's finished work that they were resting in and all of his instruction, all of his provisions. After the fall, it pointed forward to redemption. After Christ brings redemption, it points back to the finished redemption that Jesus brought. And so I think that's something important to remind ourselves of is that it, it's a moral law embedded right into the Ten Commandments, but it's also a sign or a ceremonial law. We saw that in both Ezekiel 20 and Exodus 31, the two passages that speak of it as being a sign or a ceremonial law, that even as a sign, it is everlasting. It's called an everlasting sign of the everlasting covenant. And it's said to be perpetual forever throughout our generations. Exodus 31, 13, 16, 17, etc. And so... What I'm going to do, and there should be outlines that you can follow along if you want, what I want to do is divide it up into two parts. First of all, we're going to look at exactly what the sign or the ceremonial law was intending to teach. And we pointed out last week there are a lot of ceremonial, well, not a lot, there are some ceremonial things that come into the New Testament signs. There is the rainbow that ought to every time offer up a prayer of thanksgiving to God for his uh, Noahic covenant. Uh, there is baptism, and there is the, the Lord's table. 
and uh, the Sabbath as well continues into the New Covenant. So let's take a look at the, the sign aspect, and I want to put up an overhead here that will just give us a little bit of, um, and it should, it's on your outlines as well, a little bit of a visual uh, idea of where we're going here. Before the fall, man obviously did not need redemption. And so people who think that the Sabbath right from the beginning was pointing forward to the redemption in Jesus Christ, I think are mistaken. In all three cases, pre-fall, post-fall, and post-resurrection, what this, thing, uh, this Sabbath was symbolizing was a total dependence upon God. And so <clears throat> before the fall, uh, point A says that man was dependent upon God's finished work. When we looked at the dominion mandate, we saw that God had provided Adam and Eve absolutely everything that they would need to be able to take an effective dominion. Uh, marvelous provisions that he had given to them. And the sign of the Sabbath was a sign pointing back toward God's total blessing and God's total provision. Um, Ad Adam didn't have to scramble and sweat and worry where his next meal was going to come from. You know, he didn't have to work like crazy and hope sometime in the future, maybe eventually I'll get to a point where I can take some rest. No, he was able to relax right off the bat and rest in what God had provided for him in the Garden of Eden. Verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. God had finished something. He had provided something already. And it was an incredible blessing that first Sabbath. They could relax, focus on God, take instruction from Him, and then go out and take dominion. And so you can see here already that Adam is in, and Eve are engaging in their weak in a fundamentally different way than God did. God took six days of dominion and then he took a rest. Adam and Eve, their first evening and morning sequence was actually the Sabbath, even though Eve was created toward the end of day six and, and uh, Adam halfway through day six. Um, Adam and Eve begin by resting in God and then they go out and take dominion. So it's fundamentally different approach to the dominion rest uh, type sequence. They were not to create like God did. They're to rec recreate, okay? They're to be taking dominion, um, uh, it, it resting in God's finished work. And you can see the same concept of the fact that what God has done is finished, not just in verse 1, but verses 2 through 3. On the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And so the first Sabbath symbolized the finished work of God that Adam and Eve were supposed to depend upon and rest upon. Now, if he had been placed in the desert and he didn't know where his next meal was coming from, he would have been scrambling, you know providing shelter for himself, providing all of the things that were needed. Well, that's exactly what happens to Adam and Eve once sin comes into the equation. Now, if you take a look at chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, you'll see this. It says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the garden from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way, to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, if you remember our discussion on the dominion mandate, you'll remember that in chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, it shows that Adam was created before the Garden of Eden was created. 
Okay, so Adam is out there watching God take this non-garden earth and taking a little spot of it and beginning to form it into this beautiful garden, and he's modeling to Adam what Adam is supposed to do with the rest of the earth. God is teaching him some modeling. So he's outside the garden. Then in chapter 2, verse 8, it says that God takes Adam. He places him into the garden that he has made. Now, with that in mind, look at chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 23 again. It says, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Okay, Adam was taken from soil that was outside the garden, and then he was placed into the garden. And what was outside the garden was the opposite of what God had made. It was not yet subdued by man, so he was sending him into wilderness, or at least into that which would have been wild. It wasn't garden-like at all. And if Adam and Eve are to survive their first week, they've got to really scramble and they've got to work up a sweat in terms of gathering, you know, food for themselves from out there and uh, finding shelter and gathering all of the things that are going to need to be uh, gathered. There's not going to be a lot of rest. Now, if God had just left it at that, Adam would have been without rest, not only on earth, but in hell for all of eternity. It would have been an eternal restlessness. But God has mercy upon Uh, Adam, and even though Adam's dominion and his rest is cursed, it's not taken away. God has mercy, and he gives both the dominion as well as the the rest back to them. And you see that in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Some people think this is a total curse against mankind, but this is a curse against Satan, okay? This is actually a blessing for Adam and Eve. I will put enmity, see, before... Uh, before the fall, Satan was already at enmity with Adam and Eve, right? After the fall, what happens? They're not at enmity. They're in league with Satan. You are of your father, the devil, the lust of your father you will do. She was of her father, the devil, at that point. She is not at enmity. And so this is talking about salvation. What God is going to do is sovereignly, he's going to reach in, he's going to pluck Eve out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and once again put Satan and Eve at enmity and put her seed at enmity with uh, Satan. So it's actually a blessing. It's not a curse. But anyway, he goes on. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is talking about the fact that some descendant of Eve, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ, would have his heel bruised by Satan. In other words, there's going to be pain brought into Christ's life. But Satan would use that heel to crush Satan's head. Christ would use that heel to crush Satan's head, okay? Getting tongue-tied here. And so this is a marvelous um, promise of future salvation, future rest that they would be able to have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the sign symbolizing dependence upon the Lord has to swing around after the fall. No longer can they be looking back at something that is finished in the past because of sin There is something they need that has not yet been brought into history. They have to be looking forward. And so as a symbol of that, the sign, which has been pointing this way, swings around on the pole, and it's pointing forward, and so it has to be at the end of the week because now all of mankind is waiting for something that's going to be happening at the end of the age. Jesus Christ is going to be coming and bringing salvation. And so in chapter 4, verse 3, 
uh, you'll see that it's, it's at the end of the week that they have this worship service, or literally at the end of the days. And that's the consistent pattern uh, after this. And so the Sabbath was a blessing in that it looked forward to the reversal of the fall, but it's also a curse, and it is constantly reminding them they've lost Eden, they are under God's curse, they don't yet have what uh, is being pictured there. They have lost their rest. And that's why Colossians chapter 2 can point out that the Old Testament Sabbath was a blessing in that it pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that points to Jesus has got to be a blessing, right? It's a, a blessing in that regard. But it also says that it was cursed and it was a law that was against us. Why was it against us? Well, it was a constant reminder, almost a slap in the face, that Adam had lost Eden, had lost paradise that Adam and Eve were facing the, the misery of the, the curse of thorns and thistles and all of those other things. It was a constant reminder that they needed to uh, wait for a future redemption. So something needed to be uh, done, and Jesus is going to, in his cross, purchase a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation, and that's going to progressively be applied. So that brings us up to the resurrection of Jesus which is the, the last one there, point C. <clears throat> Jesus declares a former work day to now be a rest day. Several times in the New Testament, Sunday is called a Sabbath, and uh, we looked at the Greek of that on June, chapter uh, June, uh, June 15, June chapter 15, and you'll have to get that, that sermon if you want to see some of the specific references for that. But what happens is the, the sign of the Sabbath once again swings around on the pole of history and it points back. And so it has to be at the beginning of the week. We now rest in Christ's finished work of redemption and then we go out and take dominion based on the grace that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the, the symbolism there. There's nothing that we can provide. Jesus, when he was on the cross, it is finished. And he meant it. Everything needed for life and godliness was provided by the Lord Jesus Christ. So in summary, why was it such a big deal for Adam and Eve to begin their week? Well, to fail to begin their week with the Sabbath would be a declaration of independence. Hey, we can take dominion without looking to what God has done. We can take dominion without starting with worship, without looking to his instruction, without any of those things. And when Adam and Eve did indeed try to take dominion without resting in God, then what happened is God cursed both the, the rest as well as the dominion. And uh, we don't know if that happened on the first Sabbath day or if it was a subsequent Sabbath day. Uh, A.W. Pank tries to give arguments that it was the first Sabbath day that Adam and Eve fell on. Now, I'm not sure about that, but what I am sure of is that they, they began to take a demonic rest and a demonic dominion, and God cursed both. Why was it a big deal to celebrate the Sabbath at the end of the week after the fall? Well, again, to fail to do so is to declare we don't need to be dependent upon God's future work that he's going to present. I've already got everything that I need to take a dominion that's pleasing to the Lord. It's, it's a, a cry of independence. And so Israel waits to the end of the week. Third, why is it a big deal for us to celebrate Sabbath at the beginning of the week again? Well, because the failure to do so is to indicate that the Sabbath is still a sign that the Messiah has not yet come. Okay, it's saying we're still looking forward to the Messiah. And that's why turning that sign and pointing it backward is very, very important. That's why Coloss uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, three times Paul commands us to observe the Sabbath on Sunday. 
As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day Sabbath, let each one of you lay something aside. So that's the ceremonial side. That's what this was teaching or symbolizing. And I believe this is the only place where there is any change with regard to the Sabbath. It's which direction on the pole of history that sign is pointing. Is it pointing forward? Is it pointing backward? Okay, let's, let's go on to the moral side. How do we keep the Sabbath? And I've summarized the teaching of uh, Genesis 2, 1 through 3 with four words. And I think this passage crystallizes it. It reduces down into its essence what Sabbath observance is all about in a way that applies to any, any t- uh, time period. And the first word that I've got there is prepare. God gives an example of preparation. He does not allow his work week to creep into the Sabbath. Everything that needed to be accomplished was accomplished within the six days, whether you interpret uh, the beginning of the seventh day as 6 p.m. or midnight. And actually, there are some pretty intriguing arguments for both interpretations by Jewish scholars as well as by Christians. I, I tend to favor the 6 p.m. one, but that doesn't matter. Verse 1, again, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And we have got to structure our week so that our work is finished before the Sabbath starts. You know, when we stay up late at night uh, we, and we encroach into the Sabbath, what happens is we become tired and we're unable to give to the Lord the kind of, of attention and the kind of devotion that the Lord uh, delights in. But preparation doesn't just relate to finishing work. It also relates to preparing our hearts adequately for the Lord. Uh, God prepared the Sabbath for the Sabbath by preparing a home, Eden, a community of people, that's Adam and Eve, giving them instructions, making sure they have everything that they need to delight in the Lord. The fruit was ripe. We can tell that because the fruit is said was beautiful for the eyes and beautiful for taste. Okay, so he's done everything that is needed so that they could be able to just focus on him during that Sabbath day. And I think we need to prepare for the Sabbath as well. Uh, some, for some families, Sunday morning is one of the most hectic, harried mornings that you can imagine. It's just it's frustrating you know the kids can't find their clothes and and uh, we're scurrying here and there and and so a simple attitude of preparation on the day before could solve that just have each of the kids lay out sometime on saturday you know the shirt the stockings the underwear and everything on a chair ready to go the next day so that you can fly right or um uh you know, if you're, you're constantly realizing too late that you don't have the ingredients you need for your food, you know, make sure you've got a list of everything that's needed. You purchase it on, on Saturday. And you might even do some of the cooking ahead of time so that the wife's not having to work as much. But you do everything in your power to prepare for the Sabbath. The second word is focus. And I've deliberately used the word focus instead of rest because I think that there are misconstruals of the term rest. And we'll go through those in a moment. But let me just read verses 2 through 3, and I want you to notice the the word rest there. On the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now that's confusing to some people, because they say God neither slumbers, he's not weary, he doesn't need rest. So how in the world can he rest? Uh, philosophically how can god rest actually it's rather simple it's not a problem at all because the word rest does not mean inactivity look it up in the hebrew and you'll see that rest simply means stop desist quit 
you know, you're quitting doing something. And God very literally did quit doing something when he went into the Sabbath. He quit doing his work of uh, creation. And so the Bible has a lot of stops, don'ts do this, uh, uh, quit doing that on the Sabbath as well. Uh, there are a number of different don'ts. Don't be, you know, buying in the store on the Sabbath. Don't uh, be lifting loads on the Sabbath. And they all flow straight from God modeling that to us. He rested, he ceased, he desisted doing certain things. Now the problem we get ourselves into is we, we um, stop doing our dominion work and we think we've kept the Sabbath. And that's why I've used the term focus, because here, points two through three are three misinterpretations that we can have. Legalists, like the Pharisees, man, they're good at ceasing from work. In fact, there's all kinds of things that they want everybody else to cease from that aren't even in the Scripture. They'll add their list of uh, uh, do, uh, don'ts especially. And it'd be very easy for us to do that, but I think we would totally miss the heart and the spirit of what the Sabbath was about if we just ceased from labor. God didn't give a list of don'ts to be a negative burden to his people. Let me just uh, illustrate it this way. I want to take my kids out sledding because there's so much snow outside. And uh, I am so forgetful that I want my wife to remind me about this. And uh, those of you who work closely with me know it's not hard to imagine me being forgetful. So uh, I tell my wife, uh, could you just remind me when it's time to go sledding so I can uh, quit doing what I'm doing here? And so my wife calls me up and says, okay, honey, you're going to have to quit doing what you're doing because it's time to go sledding. If I just quit working on evangelism, sermon, counseling, all of the different things that a pastor does, and I don't go sledding, I've missed the point of quitting, right? And if I say, oh, you're such a legalist, Kathy. Don't do this. Don't do that. Quit working. I mean, can't we have a little bit of grace around here? Then I would miss the point that it's not quitting for the sake of quitting. It's quitting for the sake of enjoying sledding with your children, right? And so what I want us to think about is if we focus on all of the don'ts, people ask me, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? I say, well, the, the issue really is focus. Is that the best way that you can focus on God and on his people during the Sabbath day? Um, on the other hand, it would be wrong for me to assume that since I don't need to focus on the quitting, I don't need to quit, right? Nor should I assume that people have no right to criticize me when I fail to quit. I'm not really sledding with my kids. I'm not enjoying my kids if I don't quit doing something. So hopefully that helps to give a balance uh, with that word picture. God ceased from his work so that he could focus his attention on blessing his people. He calls us to cease from our dominion so that we can focus our attention on blessing God and on blessing his people. And I want you to turn with me to Exodus 31, 17 uh, as... Uh, another indication of this because he uses a different hebrew word here which is very interesting exodus 31 17 he speaks of the sabbath and he says it is a sign between me and the children of israel forever for in six days the lord made the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed now the word refreshed there is a verbal form taken from the noun nephesh which means soul and it's, it's speaking of the relational side of, uh, of a person. Now here's what the Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament says. The use of nephesh with 
Reference to God is rare since God does not have the cravings and appetites common to man, nor is his life limited by death. In addition to the passages already noted, we cite several more where the word is used to express forcefully his passionate disinclination or inclination toward somebody, toward someone, he said. So this has to do with our relational refreshment. And I think this can mean nothing more and nothing less than that God delighted himself in his creation and especially his creatures, Adam and Eve and, and the angels. Psalm 104 uh, speaks of this time of creation. It says, let the Lord be glad in his creation. And so it's not an end in itself. You know, feel like, okay, I've got this long list of don'ts and now I've uh, safely kept the Sabbath. The whole point of the quitting is so that we can focus. So the first misunderstanding is it's a bunch of negative rules. The second huge misunderstanding that we can have of the Sabbath is to think that rest means inactivity, vegging out, sleeping all day. And I gave this illustration before in a positive light because I wanted to demonstrate that the Sabbath was part and parcel of the culture, and I gave many other illustrations. I want to use this as a negative illustration because it dawned on me this guy wasn't keeping the Sabbath, at least not the interim um, president. James C. Hefley uh, wrote about a, a strange thing that took place in 1849. He said, President-elect Zachary Taylor was scheduled according to the Constitution to take office on March 4, but he refused to be inaugurated because the day was a Sunday. Politicians pleaded in vain for the devoutly religious Taylor to change his mind. The Constitution forbade President James K. Polk from staying on another day. There was no alternative but for the Senate to elect a president to serve from Sunday noon to Monday noon, the time rescheduled for Zachary Taylor to take office. The senators chose David Rice Atchison, the head of the Senate. But the last week of the Polk administration was so hectic for Senator Atchison that he retired late Saturday evening after instructing his landlady not to awaken him for any reason. She followed his orders. Senator Atchison slept through Sunday and on into Monday past the time his 24-hour ended. The startling truth is that he slept through his entire term of office. <laughs> but he slept through his entire Sabbath as well, right? And uh, so he's a negative illustration that uh, sleeping, he, he's not saying you can't sleep on the Sabbath, okay? But sleeping is not the essence of how we best focus on the Lord. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about here. You have to answer the question, what is our focus? The third misunderstanding and it's listed in point four. I should point out, God didn't sleep either, did he? That kind of resting that he was talking about. Third misunderstanding that's listed in point four is that we shouldn't selfishly use the day only for our own creature comforts. Now, the Lord does delight in making us comfortable. We're going to have some comfortable food and, and uh, things like that later on. By the way, everybody's uh, welcome to come to our house for dinner, if you like, and uh, fellowship over, over uh, food. But anyway... The Exodus 31:17 point uh, was that we're not just to take delight from God, but we are to bring delight to God. Okay, so part of the Sabbath is to say, Lord, I love you. I want to refresh you. I want to bring delight to your heart. What are the ways that I can best accomplish that? As Zephaniah 3:17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. 
And, and so if you think of God as your lover and say, it's not just for what I can get out of this relationship with God. What is it I can do to minister to God's heart? What is it that I can give to God, my husband? We need to cultivate time with him. So the whole purpose of rest was to provide true focus. It's not just a list of don'ts. So we've looked at the words prepare, focus. Thirdly, let's look at the word expect. We ought to expect incredible blessings from this day. Um, and I think far, to a far greater degree than any other day. It's par excellence, the day of blessing. Verse 3 of Genesis 2 says, Then God blessed the day. God blessed the day. What does it mean for God to bless a day? There is something that actually lands on a day. You know, anytime God gives a verbal blessing, there is something that actually goes out. It's not just empty words. Anytime God gives a verbal blessing, the Holy Spirit accompanies that blessing and makes sure that that blessing produces something. For example, when the land is blessed, it produces. In Genesis uh, chapter 1, when the womb is blessed, it produces. Anytime anything is blessed, it produces. And so when the Sabbath is blessed by God, the Holy Spirit is accompanying God's command of blessing and it's producing blessing in our lives. So that's the way we should look at the, the Sabbath being blessed. When the 70 disciples went out and they put their blessing on a house, they weren't just saying, you know, how do you do? They were pronouncing God's shalom upon that place and it says, if the son of peace is in there, the blessing will rest upon the household. If not, the blessing will come back. Well, there weren't any words coming back. What's coming back? Well, the Holy Spirit is bringing that blessing back to you. It's not lighting on that house. So w when I pronounce shalom upon you at the beginning of the worship service, I come with a full expectation that there is a shalom that's going to rest in your lives. The Spirit accompanies uh, the blessings uh, that come. And so Isaiah 56 says, Blessed is the man who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. He pronounces the blessing upon us. And we need to come with our arms open wide on this day and say, Lord, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of blessings you're going to pour out into my life. Isaiah 56. If you want to see some of the blessings, read Isaiah 56. Isaiah 58. Man, they make your mouth water. Say, Lord, I would love to have those kinds of blessings in my life. Not only internal, subjective ones, but prospering our lives, causing us to ride on the high places of the earth. Um, and there is physical blessings as well that the Scripture uh, talks about. And to me, this makes perfect sense because if the Sabbath is not only the sign of the covenant, but the Scripture says it is the covenant. It sums up the covenant. We looked at that last time. Well, how broad is the covenant? Covenants as broad as the earth, right? And so all of the earth can be brought into blessing into our lives. The Lord can bring blessing on our dominion. He can bless our jobs. He can he'll just bless your socks off, okay? Uh, this is the day that you just ought to come with arms open wide in expectation. You're probably familiar with uh, the illustration that I've used, probably beat to death, uh, Lord Shaftesbury. Uh, he not only was instrumental in England in abolishing slavery, but uh, he was used to really promote the Sabbath a lot, and he did a number of scientific studies on it. And one of them was tracing over a period of uh, years how much work donkeys could do when they were Sabbath-keeping donkeys and when they were not Sabbath-keeping donkeys. And he found that the Sabbath-keeping donkeys could travel faster, 
farther, work harder, carry heavier loads than the non-Sabbath ones. And for example, one of the statistics was that the Sabbath donkeys, on the average, were able to travel 3,900 miles further in a year than non-Sabbath donkeys. God says it's not just for our good, it's good for the health of your animals. He wanted it for our blessing in every way. And so our, our temptation is, you know, think we're going to be cursed. If I keep the Sabbath and if I don't work, I'm not going to have enough money to be able to get by. And God says, hey, this, this is what this day is all about. It's trust. Don't work. Trust me. Rest in me. Open your arms with expectation and watch me open up the windows of heaven into your life. Okay. Last word that I want to look at. Did I cover all the words? Yep. Last word is seek. And uh, the word seek, you may not immediately see it unless you understand how sanctifying uh, time, space, and objects works. Genesis 2, verse 3, says, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Sanctified it. Now, the word sanctified means that something is set apart to God. And in the Old Testament, you saw all kinds of things that were sanctified. In fact, you could even have, you know, holy pots and pans and all kinds of things. Anything that was set apart to God's presence was declared to be holy, right? And just as an illustration, you can look at degrees of holiness or degrees of sanctification depending upon how close to God's presence that thing was. Israel was called the Holy Land because it was the place where the temple was and God's presence was manifested. Within Israel, there was a holy city. Again, because it was closer than any other city in Israel to God's presence. Within the city, there was a holy mount. And then there was the temple, there was the outer court, the, the holy place, and the holy of holies, because that was the very place of God's presence. Well, when God sanctifies anything automatically, or declares it to be holy, automatically you know it is being set apart to God's presence. If he sanctifies the day, then par excellence, this means this day is the day of God's presence. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, that means we need to seek his presence. Right? And by keeping the Sabbath, if we're properly keeping it, we are indeed seeking the presence uh, of the Lord. In um, Genesis, uh, oh yeah, Exodus 20, oh, that's reference to a, being a holy day. Look at Genesis 3, verse 8. We'll skip over some of the other. <clears throat> this is after the fall, but it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, if you want an awesome description of that verse, Meredith Klein devotes 34 pages to describing that verse, comparing Scripture with Scripture, and showing this was the magnificent glory cloud of God that was coming toward Adam and Eve. And if you look at the other descriptions, any time the glory cloud was present, you have the, 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 the mighty beating of wings, the, the noises and everything. There was a loud sound. They were running. They were terrified. And he speaks of this as the judgment advent of, uh, of God. Now, what I want to point out is if there had not been a fall, it would not have been a scary thing at all. This would have been a blessing par excellence of God's presence coming toward uh, Adam and uh, toward Eve. The Hebrew is emphatic that this was the day, I believe a, a reference to the Sabbath, when God's presence was especially made known. And it's the Sabbath, uh, the, the presence of God that makes the Sabbath holy. Uh, one of the uh, 
renderings of that instead of the cool of the day they render it the spirit of the day was present and god's presence would have been a blessing beyond description now again whether aw pink is right and this was the first sabbath or it's a subsequent sabbath i think is immaterial i think the hebrew is very clear this was supposed to be this was intended by god to be a time where uh, they were to experience his glory and i tell you once you have experienced the glory of god's presence in your personal devotions or in church you long for more of that you long to go back into the presence of the lord it's something that draws your heart out and uh, this might be seen as an excuse for private exercise of uh, devotions all day if it had not been for the fact that scripture commands us over and over again to have holy convocation to gather together on on the sabbath day and god ushers us into his presence on other days as well but i think if there's any possibility of our being pressed more closely into the throne room of god it's got to be on the sabbath uh, that's the day when we should have that expectation it's where god delights in causing his whole glory cloud and all of the angels to crowd into an assembly and that's my longing is that god's presence would be so richly felt in this congregation that uh you know we would forget our own agendas and we would look only to the lord's agenda god's presence being with us and so when we gather for fellowship whether you're gathering in your own homes or or whatever you're doing today i want us to focus on how we can be better at having sabbath conversation i think i fall into this just as much as any of the others you know when we're at at our place a lot of times we fall into just discussing you know which movies we like and you know sports and different things like that but if we can focus on uh in fun creative ways and how we can talk about the sermon or theology or what god's doing in each other's lives and and use this as a time to minister in each other's lives i think it would be tremendous let's through the rest of this day think of that the, the whole aspect of preparation and uh and uh, uh uh setting apart this whole day to the lord with expectation of his presence being with us seeking him let's pray father god uh, even though these are only three verses uh, we glory in the message that is brought by them and i pray that you would help us to enter into the joy unspeakable and full of glory that is the heritage of those who seek you father you have said in in james uh, uh draw near to you and you will draw near to us and that is our desire by keeping the sabbath this day to draw near to you and it is our desire to see you drawing near to us that we would experience the presence of your holy spirit in our lives bless us father whether our keeping of the remainder of the sabbath is in private devotions or in talking with the family and reading uh, whether we're uh, fellowshipping together in other ways i just pray that this would be a glorious day in which your presence is known i pray it in christ's name amen